0: G'day, I'm Ian Swain, the owner of Swain Destinations, a company that customizes travel experiences to Australia, New Zealand, the South Pacific Islands, Africa, Asia, India, and Mexico. And welcome to another edition of G'day with Ian Swain. Today, I'm truly excited to welcome my guest, who is a wildlife veterinarian from my homeland, Australia. She's interested in better understanding the impact of health on the conservation of threatened species and the health and welfare implications of wildlife translocations, both to the translocated individuals and to the broader ecosystem that they've been transplanted to. Having spent her career developing skills, experience and education in this area, Leanne currently is the senior veterinarian at the Australian Wildlife Health Centre at Hillsville Sanctuary, part of Zoos Victoria. In this role, she is the clinical and research lead for the veterinary department at Hillsall Sanctuary, ensuring the management and biosecurity and preventative health, the health and welfare concerns of the sanctuary's resident animals, conservation breeding programs of threatened species, and the sick and injured wildlife to present to the wildlife rescue. So, you think you've had a busy day? I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Leanne Whitker today. So, good day, Leanne. Hi. Liam, before we talk about the Aussie animals, which I love dearly, I know you traveled to Vietnam for research, and one of the animals you researched is one that I'm very intrigued with and have searched for in the Kalahari Desert, but never seen, and of course it's the pangolin. Can you share your story on those incredible animals and your time with them in Vietnam?
1: Yeah, they, they really are an incredible animal. They're really uh, curious little creatures, quite um, you know, I would probably say like a sweet personality, they're really interested, they'll come over and they'll sniff you and they'll climb up your leg as well, thinking that you're a tree, I think. Uh, and, and their only defence, you know, is to curl up into a little ball. Uh, so they're, they are, you know, curl up into a little ball. They don't, they don't do anything, uh, you know, aggressive at all. So they're really lovely. I'm not surprised you didn't see one. There's not very many people who've been lucky enough to see them in the wild. I, I have never seen one in the wild either. I was working in Vietnam in a wildlife rescue centre. We were looking after animals that were confiscated from illegal wildlife trade. And we heard about the, the, the increasing uh, trade in pangolins throughout that region. And, and there was no one really working on that species. There was just very little known about them. And, and we set up the first Pangolin Rescue Center in Southeast Asia that was dedicated to pangolins. They were really, it was really hard to begin with because like I said, not very much was known about them. And they really kind of had this reputation of being really hard to keep alive in captivity. They didn't do very well. I think that's partially because they're fussy little guys. They eat ants and termites, but different species will eat different, you know, termites or ants, depending on whether they normally live on the ground or they normally live in trees. Um, But we've done really well over the years and uh, I still work quite closely with the team over there and we now have a really successful uh, rescue centre rehabilitating pangolins and releasing them back into the wild, which is wonderful.
0: I I love to hear that and I'm I'm happy that you said that it's not unusual for me not to see one because I felt I missed out there for a while, but I will, I will certainly try again. But now back to Oz. Tell us about your role. At, tell us about your role at Zoos Victoria. I know I mentioned it briefly in the intro, but it's a little more involved in that. Um, just let me know what you do there.
1: So I'm the senior veterinarian in the Australian Wildlife Health Centre, which is a sort of fancy name for our vet hospital here at Hillsborough Sanctuary. Uh, Our sanctuary only has Australian wildlife so you know it's a zoo that people can come and see but it's only Australian native animals which is really wonderful, really lovely to be in this beautiful area surrounded by nature and being able to share our wildlife with people. Our our vet hospital is open to the public so if you come to Healesville Sanctuary you can walk in and like walk around and watch our staff as we work. We look after animals here in our care. So we have animals that live here at the sanctuary and obviously we make sure our vet team is, you know, looking after them, making sure they're nice and healthy. We also have uh, a range of uh, conservation programs for some threatened species here in Australia. We have breeding programs here at the Sanctuary, for Tasmanian devils and mountain pygmy possums, some threatened frog species, birds, the little, little tiny mountain pygmy possums and ledbetus possums. So it's a really, really fascinating. And our vet team helps to make sure that they're healthy and that, that we're, you know, being able to contribute to the wild populations successfully. And then I think a really unique part of our work here is that we run a really busy rescue hospital for wildlife that is presented to us sick or injured from maybe members of the public or other vets or rangers or other people might find animals that might be sick or injured and they bring them in to us. Uh, we look after some of them here until, until release. or we work with wildlife carers. So that, that's the sort of three different components of our work. It's all surrounded or all related to Australian native species. So we've got some incredible species here in Australia and, you know, it's wonderful to be involved in their conservation and sharing that with our visitors. So yeah, as this, as the senior vet here, I, I guess I take the lead in our research and our, you know, our clinical approach and work with a really wonderful team. It's a wonderful job. I love it. It's
0: got, it's got to be so fulfilling for you because it's it's here helping animals that can't help themselves is just an incredible feeling for everybody, I think. And I know my daughter's doing a vet tech course, and and she's just getting the the great fulfillment out of that, seeing how how she can help animals and how you all do it so well. This year, of course, began with the horrific bushfires in the summer uh, in Australia, which which, which, uh, the whole world knew about. Um, And I know that your team was very much involved in the helping of the koalas that were uh, potentially injured or potentially going to be injured by the, by the bushfires. How did your team help and what was the outcome of it all?
1: Yeah, goodness, they were, it was a bit of a shocking start to 2020, wasn't it? You know, watching the, the maps, you know, we all have apps on our phone now and the fire maps and, and seeing how it was just spreading all the way up the east coast of Australia. It was uh, almost apocalyptic at times. Our uh, zoo, Zoos Victoria, is a partner with our government department of environment here in Victoria and so when there's an emergency that involves wildlife we provide the veterinary assistance and veterinary care uh, to the department and so as we watch those that fire fronts sort of extend throughout um, some incredibly diverse, biodiverse areas of Victoria. We worked with our um, government department of environment to establish triage units so they're a little bit like I guess advanced field hospitals they're closer to the fire so animals don't need to move very far and uh, we were able to see a whole range of animals I think you know the 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 world saw a lot about koalas this year, but but any animal that was injured or affected by the fires could be brought in by the government officers or the firefighters uh, or, you know, those people who were there in the fire fields. Uh, So we saw, you know, anywhere from little microbats or tiny little feather-tailed gliders, there were quite a few of those animals that live in trees that were affected by smoke inhalation or they might've been dehydrated. The fires this year were so hot, I think even the the, uh, the trees that weren't burnt, often they were quite, you know, the the leaves were dry. So lots of animals were dehydrated as well. So uh, we were able to um, uh, see those animals in our triage units uh, where our vets, nurses, and, and, and actually we also provided keepers because we ended up with quite a large number of different species in these sort of temporary, you know, hospitals. It was quite a lot of work to look after them. And so we had these teams of people and we would assess the animals and, you know, decide whether they were going to be okay and and what level of care they might need. We were actually able to treat quite a large number of them. I think it was 42% of the animals that presented to triage were able to be released from those triage units after. Maybe they were rehydrated or we provided some sort of first aid intensive care and then they were fine. We just had to find unburnt safe areas to release them back to as close as possible to where they were found. But we then brought 24 koalas back to our hospitals here, closer to Melbourne, safe away from that fire front, where we have purpose-built hospitals here with uh, you know, amazing facilities to, to really give those animals some of the intensive care they needed. And so, yeah, for the last 11 months, <laughs> that's what we've been doing, uh, looking after these animals here, giving them that, that intensive care that they, they really needed. Some of them were really badly injured with, with incredibly bad burns, at least really just making sure their welfare was was remaining good and, and, and that they, you know that they were healthy. And they spent the last couple of months in beautiful, big pre-release enclosures where they were able to climb and regain their strength and vitality. and, and I think you know from a mental health perspective, they needed to also just get down, you know get over that, that period of intense stress that they suffered at the beginning of the year. So some of them were here at the sanctuary in that space and we also partnered with Phillip Island Nature Park. So uh, over the past few months we've watched those animals climb trees you know choose where they want to sit right at the top they don't they don't really like sitting down close to us right at the top of the trees where they're up in the breeze you know looking out surveying the scene and uh, we've just been able to watch those koalas really just become more and more like the wild koalas that they truly are until, yeah, just over the last couple of weeks, we've been able to release them back into the wild. So taking them home is an amazing experience.
0: Are they all released back now?
1: Yeah, all well, so we were, we were quite strict, you know. We, we, we need to make sure that when we rehabilitate wildlife, that when we release them back to the wild, they're going to be able to thrive you know, that they'll be able to integrate back into their wild population, that they'll survive, that they'll live healthy, happy lives out there. And so I think, you know, when you think about the the vast area uh, of fires this year, you know, we were able to release 14 koalas back into the wild um, from that process. And so, you know, it's easy to think, it's not a huge number of animals, but I think what we've been able to learn from those animals and what we're continuing to learn because we're monitoring them now that they're back in the wild, we're seeing how they're going, we're, we're monitoring them with radio and GPS and we're check, check, you know, monitoring their health and welfare back in the wild for the next couple of months. I think what we learn from those animals is gonna have really big impacts on a really large number of animals well into the future. We've, we've spent the year learning and we'll continue to learn.
0: Leanne, as I understand it, Zoos Victoria received donations from around the world for your work, to help the koalas, particularly during the the bushfires, um, and also for their future response. You must have been so happy to see the global community get together like this. Were there any great letters that they sent you or anything that really sticks in your mind of how helpful they've been?
1: Oh, my goodness. Like, none of this would have been possible without that support from all over the world. Uh, you know obviously here in australia we got a huge amount of support but but there was a global response to this i think you know those images that must have gone out around the world touched so many people and and i think when people saw that we were really you know trying to help you know as many animals as possible and we had these animals in our care it, it's been this ongoing you know outpouring of support and and what i think has been amazing is know obviously some people are able to donate a large amount of money but not everyone can and we had you know schools who set up lemonade stands and you know sold sold you know crafted things and and some incredible donations from around the world actually and I think I I just love it when you get those letters from kids and they've seen like an animal and you get this picture that they've drawn and you know it's never a massive amount of money but oh my goodness it's a massive amount of sort of emotional support and yeah. it's wonderful isn't it to see
0: makes it feel like everything's what you're doing is worthwhile speaking of children the next generation do you see the next generation getting involved in volunteering to help aussie animals particularly over the last year is it starting to happen
1: yeah look i do goodness don't, i think social media you know it's it's a good and a bad thing and it certainly, you know, takes stories into everybody's, you know, living room, and I, I really think I don't know whether it is social media that, or, or just the global nature of our of our of our world, but my, my feeling is that there's this increasing understanding of, you know, the importance of biodiversity and the the importance of, of maintaining that that biodiversity to to have a sustainable future for all of us, and I think that children today are so much more aware of of the importance of of nature perhaps than maybe we were or, or generations past and you know we have a real responsibility to make sure that we look after the the planet for them as they grow, grow up but yeah look uh, yeah gosh it's hard isn't it volunteering you know when when kids um you know want to be able to volunteer it's hard you want to make sure that when people are volunteering that they're doing things that are that are safe that are effective and meaningful and so uh, you know i think for, for we have at the zoo we have a really great youth program where young you know like their teenagers often you know our kids youth at the zoos and they're often incredibly passionate kids and they come and they do some great volunteering in our zoos or tree planting or all sorts of things to help us you know support biodiversity. And then younger kids, I think it's about making sure that they learn, that they understand, that they love it, getting kids out into nature, taking their shoes off, you know,
0: yeah. going
1: for bushwalks.
0: No, it's great. That's um, It's very, again, I keep on saying the are for fulfilling, but anything to do with animals can be so fulfilling. But seeing the kids get involved now is great and they understand it. But as you said, you've got to keep it safe enough so they don't, hurt themselves or the animals as well at the same time but yeah. not not deliberately obviously we're yeah.
1: we moving away from that space where you know historically people would? you know we know that for people to protect and love something they need to understand it and they often need to feel some kind of connection and i think you know increasingly we understand that doesn't mean you need to necessarily hold an animal but you know learn about it see it in its natural environment you know, there's lots of different ways we can connect and I think making sure that children connect in a meaningful way is really important
0: Leanne thank you for your time today it's been really thrilling to, to meet you I was looking forward to this interview for quite a while um, to talk about it because animals are very, very very caring of animals but the, the thing is that I'm so proud of you as an Australian looking after the Aussie animals like you do uh, and setting the, the, the standards for the world to follow. So I really appreciate your time. appreciate what you do. And I know our clients love coming down to Hillsville Sanctuary and they come down and see all the good work that you're doing. So thank you very much. It's
1: our pleasure. Make sure they come and visit us here in the Australian yeah. Wildlife Health Centre when they come to the sanctuary. We love sharing our
0: work. They will do that for sure. We'll put it there. Thanks very thank much. Thank you, Ian. Bye. Thank you so much. Okay, Bye.
1: bye-bye.